The Lord God's Spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for Zion's mourners, to give them a crown in place of ashes, oil of joy in place of mourning, a mantle of praise in place of discouragement, they will be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord to glorify himself. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore formerly deserted places. They will renew ruined cities, places deserted in generations past. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students, grab your masks and meet your teacher in the lobby. The rest of you may be seated. I'm so tempted to make you guys stand up again, but I won't. It's good to be with you, Grace. Great morning. It's wonderful to sing those carols together and then to, I don't know, just hear from the kids singing as well. It's such a gift. So before we get into the word, I just had an announcement, and that's that the Vakurviches, uh, Will Vakurvich, who's... I'm going to be the third pastor of the lead pastoral team. They are moving to Long Beach this weekend, uh, which is exciting, yes. Um, I bring that up as a way to just remind us to be praying for them as they are moving to Long Beach. They're transitioning here to this community, uh, just to be praying that it goes smoothly and that we would together uh, welcome them, welcome them well. They will be here next Sunday. Will is actually going to be preaching. That's on the 26th. The day after Christmas, I mean, he said he wanted to do it. So I'm like, well, all right. Uh, but he's really excited. He's really excited to be a part of this community, and he's really excited to, for, for the whole family to be, to be a part of this community, and we're excited as well. well I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into uh, the word this morning. God, you are a God who is with us. You are a God who reminds us of, of your faithfulness, of your commitment, of your desire to move toward us despite the ways that we might want to run away or the walls that we build or even our, our wanting to hold you at a distance, you still move. You are that type of God and we are grateful. Thank you for being the God who wants to be known um, as well, the God who has come to us in Jesus, in the flesh, so that we might know who you are and what you're like, but we might trust that you know who we are and what we are like. And thank you that that is true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in the final Sunday of Advent. If you'd like, you can open up your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 61. Um, we're going to be all over Scripture in various ways this morning, but that'll sort of be a placeholder of where we'll come back. So the final Sunday of Advent, we've been looking at this, at this idea that 
this arrival of God in the person of Jesus. That's what Advent means, arrival. And we've been saying that God is actually with us. Or as we like to say, God is with us, but like for real though. And that God's presence is something that isn't abstract or an idea, but is actual reality. That we can trust that God is with us because he's come to us in the person of Jesus because through his spirit, he remains with us, in us, leading us, guiding us. That is the type of God that we worship, that we sing to, that we pray to. It is the type of God who is wanting to know us and who does deeply know us. And so as we've been looking at this sense of God actually being with us, we've been looking at four different aspects of what it means, of what we can experience and encounter as a result of God's being with us. We've been looking at hope, love, joy, and this morning, peace. That because God is actually with us, we can experience, we can taste, we can see hope, love, joy, and peace. So in the Old Testament imagination of what they were waiting for, of who this person might be that would come, this Messiah, Isaiah chapter 9 gives us this incredible vision of who this person would be. It says this in verses 6 through 7, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So in this incredible vision of Isaiah, in the midst of this moment when the people of God, Israel, finds itself wondering if they matter as they are exiled, distant from God, Isaiah gives them this word of hope through the whole book of Isaiah and through different parts really specifically connected to this future when this person or a person, this new Israel, this, this embodiment of what Israel was supposed to be comes on the scene and we are told that it is a child who will be wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace and whose kingdom will be one where there will be endless peace. And so there are two aspects of the peace that we can experience as a result of God being with us that I want to explore this morning. And it's Christ's peaceable kingdom and Christ's peaceable authority. These two aspects of this idea of peace as it's connected to God's presence in Jesus that I'd want to look at this morning. Christ's peaceable kingdom and Christ's peaceable authority. Now as we think about Christ's peaceable kingdom, there are two words, two things I want to talk about. The first is shalom. And the second is jubilee. So this first word, shalom, when the, when the Old Testament speaks of the word peace, the word that's used is shalom. Now shalom is this sense that when we don't, peace is, is a good word, but we can't get a sense of what it's actually speaking to. This idea of shalom, as, it's, as the vision is given in the Old Testament throughout scripture, is this sense of wholeness, of completeness of all the different complexities of life that seem disparate and chaotic coming together 
And there's this sort of unification and completeness and wholeness. That which is missing has been found. That which is broken is fixed. Things are whole. Things are together. Things are connected. And so when we hear the word peace, when we hear this sense of prince of peace, that this kingdom will be one of endless peace, this is what is being described. This prince of wholeness and completeness and of restoration of that which is broken being fixed. And we as Advent people know we live between the times, one in which God has come to us in Jesus and there is a taste perhaps of that beginning but also a future when that completeness and wholeness will one day be the operative state of affairs. And that's the good news that we look forward to. So shalom, completeness, wholeness. But then there's a second word I want to talk about in regard to this kingdom, this peaceable kingdom, and it's the word jubilee. Now, the the scripture that was read, Isaiah 61, says this at the beginning. Verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that's a very key phrase here. The year of the Lord's favor refers to this concept in Israel of jubilee. So what is jubilee? Well, jubilee was that every 50 years in Israel would be the year of jubilee. And it would be a completely reversal of the economic realities of the day. Now the Bible speaks to this in Leviticus 25, verses 8 through 15, speaking about what the people of Israel were to do when they celebrated this day of jubilee. Starting in verse 8, you shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives 49 years. Can't you just say 50 years? Then you shall have the trumpet sounded loud on the 10th day of the seventh month. So this idea of the trumpet sounding loud, this I, the, the trumpet is the word for jubilee, yovel in the Hebrew. So on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall have the trumpet sounded throughout all your land and you shall hallow the 50th year and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return every one of you to your property and every one of you to your family. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not sow or reap the aftergrowth or harvest the unpruned vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat only what the field itself produces. In this year of jubilee, you shall return every one of you to your property. When you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not cheat one another. When you buy from your neighbor, you shall pay only for the number of years since the jubilee. The seller shall charge you only for the remaining crop years. So in this complete reversal of affairs, in the 50th year of of Israel, they would forgive all debts. There would be no more debts. All the land that was taken in some way would be returned to the ancestors. You were actually to give rest to the land. You were not to sow. It's this sense of Sabbath, but for a whole year where everything is equalized, everything is returned, 
And there's a real sense of what it means to love your neighbor. Ultimately, the operative word is sharing. So when Isaiah is speaking of this year of jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor shall come, it's speaking of this time when all of this will happen. Slaves are freed, debts are forgiven, land is returned, and there is rest, and there is shalom, there is peace. Now if these words sound familiar, it's because Jesus himself says them in Luke chapter four. Now if you'd like, you can turn there, but it's also gonna be up on the screen. So Luke four, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the gospel of Luke, he says this. When he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So God coming to us in Jesus and as Jesus understands his ministry, it is a ministry of jubilee. It is a ministry of being empowered by the Spirit to proclaim release to the captives, good news for the oppressed, they are set free, sight to the blind, again a reversal of things, that which was taken away is given back, that which is owed, all debts are canceled. This is the ministry of Jesus and he sees himself as enacting jubilee in the world. That the kingdom that has come in the person of Jesus or has begun to come is is a kingdom of jubilee. It's a peaceable kingdom filled with wholeness, completeness, restoration, where nothing is missing, but all things are found. Nothing is incomplete. All things are whole. There are no captives. There is no oppression. There is no debt. There is only shared abundance. So when we think of Advent and God actually being with us, but like for real though, we think of a God who has come to us in Jesus whose ministry is defined by peace, shalom, and jubilee. That is incredible news. The best news. And when we think about this sense of peace and shalom, wholeness. The Apostle Paul begins to talk about what God has done through Jesus on the cross as enacting this peace. Now perhaps common verses we've heard, now listen to these in light of what we've talked about in terms of shalom, what we've talked about in terms of jubilee. Romans 5.1, therefore since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've obtained access to his grace in which we stand and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. Because of what God has done in Jesus, we have peace, we have shalom, we have completeness and wholeness. Colossians 1, 19 through 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things 
whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Making peace through the blood of his cross. Bringing wholeness and completeness in our relationship to God, but also in our relationship to one another, also our relationship to creation, also our relationship to ourselves. Things that are broken and fractured because of the person of Jesus have the possibility of being put together again. And here we are in between the times where that has begun. We know and look forward to when that one day will be what we see completely. Hold in your mind the things that you know are broken and should not be. Perhaps it's relationships. Perhaps it's something so large and massive, like the foster care system. Perhaps it's something like injustice, racism. Perhaps it's something like marriages crumbling, fracturing. As you look forward to Christmas and you think about who should be at the dinner table but will not be, think about that. Hold these things in your mind. And then consider the good news that that which is broken and fractured and completely messed up, whole and complete and healed and restored, that is what God is up to through the person of Jesus. The things that we know shouldn't be, God knows too and has begun to do something about it through the person of Jesus Christ. When we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we are asking for is nothing less than God to come and bring shalom to a world that desperately needs it. To bring jubilee, to sound the trumpet where there is sharing, where there is giving, where there is canceling of debt. And that is begun because of Jesus. Our debts have been canceled. Your debts have been canceled. And that's because God did it. Not because you paid them. Or not because you had enough to bring the scales back down to zero. But because God said, through Jesus, we have peace. All debts are canceled. So Christ's peaceable kingdom. But there's also this sense of, of Christ's peaceable authority. Now in Isaiah 9-7, it says, His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David. In Isaiah 61, and then Jesus in Luke 4 says, The Lord has anointed me. There is this sense of authority that comes with the person of Jesus and the peace that he is bringing. And this peace requires what the Bible refers to as justice and righteousness. 
this sense of naming the wrongs wrong and doing something about them in a righteous and complete way, bringing justice by his righteousness, making that which is wrong right in the way that only God can and in the way that only God knows. We think, I think I know what is just, I think I know what is righteous. I need to have my imaginations continually formed into the likeness of Jesus so that my visions of justice and righteousness become what compel and move me. What's really fascinating and beautiful about Isaiah 61, it talks about what's, this, what's going to happen in, in this ministry that Jesus begins to take on himself. But then there's this really beautiful turn as the scriptures continue. I'm going to start in verse 3. We'll start in verse 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations. There's this sense that is the year of Jubilee is pronounced as Shalom becomes the way of things. God then names this restored Israel and then what Jesus is doing with his disciples, including us and restoring us into his likeness, we are called priests and ministers. That means in some way we are anointed to bear witness to the shalom, to the peace, to the jubilee that has been begun and enacted in Jesus. It means we have a job to do. We have a calling. We have a vocation to be people who lean in to this peace and shalom, to be people who are marked by this jubilee by the sharing, by this canceling of debts. It is a job description to be called priests and ministers of God. We bear witness in our lives to the person of Jesus. God is with us, but like for real though, because he resides in you and in me through his spirit. We bear witness to the good news of Jesus, to the peace and shalom of Jesus. And this forces us to ask the question, so what is then, what have we been authorized to do? So if Christ's peaceable kingdom is to be the vision that we are to live by, and we've been authorized to live into that vision, then what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our vocation, for the things we spend our time doing? Well, it first means to have our imaginations formed in that way, but it also means to look at the world and to consider the ways in which shalom is not the way things are. As I think about our community, as I look out so many faces, I already used this example, but it is so true. It means to consider seriously, what does shalom mean for those kids who have no home? What does shalom mean 
for children who are desperately needing wholeness and restoration and love and presence? That's a question to consider asking ourselves as a community. And so many of you are examples of what that looks like. What does it mean for those in our community and our, as our neighbors who do not have, who do not have but are in need? I mean, you don't have to drive very far in, in Long Beach to see what seems like a massive devastation in terms of people needing homes. And that's complex. And I can't get into all the dynamics of what to do or how to do it, but it certainly needs to be a question that we're asking. What does shalom look like here? What does wholeness and completeness mean here? There are so many different Pockets of people who are left or forgotten. I'm thinking of the, the, the intellectually disabled. I'm thinking of those who are older. I'm thinking of Bixby Towers. What does shalom look like here in Long Beach? What does shalom look like in your marriage? What does wholeness and completeness look like there? What does shalom look like with your children, with your friends? What does shalom look like with your relationships here? Where is there fracturing? Where is there like a, a, a dis, disconnectedness? What does wholeness, shalom look like? A completeness. What does it look like to be jubilee people and to cancel debts and to share in God's abundance? I mean, this is the work that we've been given to do. Paul takes this up in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17. So if anyone is in Christ, there is new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through, through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is speaking to wholeness, to completeness, and to our work within it. This is speaking to jubilee. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us, to you, to me. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is no better news. There is no better work. There is no better calling. This is what God has given us to do. So because God is with us, but like for real though, we can see that there is a peaceable kingdom that has come with the person of Jesus. That his life is one of enacting the year of the Lord's favor, year of jubilee. But Christ also has a peaceable authority. It is because of what Christ is doing. It is because of Christ forming us into his likeness as we release ourselves, our own agendas, our own visions, and are open to God's vision, to the vision that's enacted in the person of Jesus, then his authority becomes operative in our lives we begin to imagine these areas where God might be calling us to bear witness to his shalom, to his peace. I mean, isn't that amazing? We are not called actually to make peace. That's God's work. 
and it's begun in Christ, we're called to live into what's already possible. That is, that blows my mind. The job I have is to live as if it's true because it is in the person of Jesus. So in Christ's peaceable authority, he calls us into shalom. He calls us into rest. I mean, one of the most beautiful moments of Christ enacting his authority and the invitation when he calls people is found in Matthew 11, and it's probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite passage. In words of Jesus, come to me, you know this. You know this. But accept the invitation. But like for real though. Come to me, all you, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest, peace, wholeness, completeness. That which is lost will be found. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest, wholeness, completeness for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So how do we enter into this peace We enter into this peace and it's made possible because God has come to us in Jesus and because Jesus has invited us to come to him, to accept his peaceable authority in our lives, to be shaped and formed by it, to learn from him. The way that Eugene Peterson renders this in the message is to learn from him the unforced rhythms of grace. But it comes by way of learning, by way of being open to the person of Jesus and his authority shaping us and working in our hearts and creating us into his likeness. See, this is the good news that we have to offer. That because God has come to us in Jesus and because he is with us, but like for real though, we can experience a peace, a shalom in our lives. And sure, it's not whole, Sure, it's not complete yet, but we can lean into it. We can be called by God to bear witness to it. I love the language that Gregory Boyle uses to describe something like this. Now, if you don't know who Gregory Boyle is, but you should, because I bring him up, I don't know, like every three sermons. Uh, Gregory Boyle is, is somebody who created what's called Homeboy Industries, and it's, a, it, it's in um, like central L.A., and he's doing ministry to, to those who, who find themselves in, in the life of gangs and wanting to call them out. And he has this incredible story about a person in his life named Louis who is 19 years old. And he was a gang member, and he was making money, um, stealing cars and, and dealing drugs, and eventually that which he was dealing, he became just consumed by. And he was needing a way out. And Gregory Boyle saw this Louis and he was trying to call him to come to his recovery program so many different times. Finally, he accepted. But while Louis was in the recovery program, he got a call one day that his brother had actually killed himself. And so Louis was going to go to the funeral, but Gregory Boyle said, I will... I will drive you because I need to bring you back immediately. He knew that the possibility of relapse was so high. 
And so he takes Louis to the funeral. Louis goes to the funeral. And then when they come back to the, to the rehab center, or one, like maybe a day or two after, Louis hugs him, and, and then he, he begins to tell him a story. And I'm going to read the way that Gregory Boyle describes it. And this is Louis talking. He says, I had a dream last night, and you were in it. And then Gregory Boyle says, In the dream, Louis tells me the two of us are in a darkened room. No lights whatsoever. No illuminated exit signs. No light creeping from under the door. Total darkness. We're not speaking, but he knows I'm in the room with him. Then silently, I pull a flashlight from my pocket and aim steadily on the light switch across the room. Louis tells me that he knows that, the only, that only he can turn the light on. And he expresses his gratitude that I happen to have a flashlight. Then with great trepidation, Louis moves slowly toward the light switch, following closely the guiding beam of light. He takes a deep breath, flips the switch on, and the room is flooded with light. Gregory Boyle goes on, as he tells me this, he begins sobbing. And the light, Louis says, is better than the darkness. As though he hadn't known this was the case. You see, Gregory Boyle says, we cannot turn the light switch on for anyone. But we all own flashlights. With any luck, on any given day, we know where to aim them for each other. Now, as I think about Advent, and I think about the arrival of Jesus, as I think about the hope, love, joy, and peace, his peaceable kingdom and his peaceable authority, as I think about our calling as priests and ministers, our calling is to point the flashlight. We can't turn the light switch on for anyone. But we all have flashlights. And by God's grace, we know where to point them. And that is the person of Jesus. Because it is in the person of Jesus that we know that God is with us. But like for real though, it is in the person of Jesus that we know that God brings a hope that the world desperately needs, that we continue to need. We know in the person of Jesus that God has shown us his unending forever love. We know that in the person of Jesus, that God gives us an incredible sense of joy that despite circumstances, we might experience. We know that in the person of Jesus, God brings peace, shalom. So as Advent people, in a world that might seem so dark sometimes, We've been given the opportunity to point our flashlights in the direction of Jesus. That's what we've been given to do. Thanks be to God.